Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. For decades, milk has been fueling women marathon runners as the OG performance drink. And in the new docu-series, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers takes us on a journey of self-discovery as she meets several groups of empowered women runners to find out what drives them, what fuels them, and what pushes them to go the distance. And in the process, she learns that she too can be a distance runner. You can watch the series at runningsuckstheseries.com and register for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. I think it's worth noting that if you asked any of the people that did these specials, none of them would be like, because it'd be wild to be like, look, I needed to sell it and I wanted to, (laughs) I needed to be more prestige for HBO to buy it or for Netflix to buy it. Like they all, I mean, I've talked to some of these people and they all had like completely genuine self-inspired reasons to do it. Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. This is one of those episodes in which I talk to Catherine Van Arendon, my colleague at Vulture, and my co-host on the stand-up special review Patreon podcast, The Specials. To check that out, go to patreon.com slash the specials. This episode started because there was a phenomenon happening in comedy that was getting Catherine really cheesed off. Uh, Those are my words, not hers. At its most basic, the idea is about how documentary footage is currently being used in stand-up specials. Catherine has written extensively about the rise of the docuseries, and she saw something happening with stand-up specials that was similar. I I know this seems small, but this one kernel of a gripe then ballooned in so many directions about the fundamentals of where stand-up is right now. And and I had fun, and and I hope you have fun. I hope Catherine had fun. Most of all, uh, she's a guest, and I hoped I was hospitable. Um, The the conversation was born out of an article that Catherine wrote and that you should read on Vulture.com. So, here is Catherine Van Arendonk. Okay, focus. Me. Mm -hmm. I had a cold brew before this. I'm amped to listen. I am here with Catherine Van Arendonk. Uh, nice to see you. Hello. Hey, Jesse. How you doing? Oh, great. Great. I had, a, I had a cold brew, and I am ready to listen. Pumped. Let's do it. Resaying the joke I said literally before I introduced you. Um, so you're super mad about something, and I mm-hmm. had you on to just go off on yep. this trend. Um, so I guess the first is... If we're going to call it a trend, and I can't imagine you do, but I already called it a trend once. So if we're going to call this a trend, what is it? Like, big picture, what are we talking about today? 
Okay. Just to rewind, you started to make me watch and review comedy specials a couple years ago. And so there was a particular, there was like a moment when I started watching a bunch of comedy specials and really Mm -hmm. had not, you know, I had watched a lot of things occasionally, but had not really sat down and like focused on big picture, like lots of what's going on. And almost the same time that I started to do that, I began noticing examples of something that I found notable, but also, like, I was not sure how I felt about them at first. Um, And what I was noticing are these comedy specials where the main focus of it is that it is a comedy special. Like, somebody is standing on a stage for Mm. probably the majority of it. And they are doing what I would assume when you are in the audience is an hour of material. They are, it's them, you know, they've been rehearsing this, they've been working for months, they've got the whole thing, they're ready, they're recording it. But when I sit at home and watch it, they do, say, 10 minutes, and then the scene shifts, and there is an insertion of documentary footage. Mm-hmm. And then this repeats like throughout the hour. Um, I noticed it, you know, uh, Gary Goldman's Great Depression. I noticed it, um, Jenny Slate's Stage Fright. But the one that I think I was, I really sat down and started to think about how I felt about it as like a genre was Yvonne Orji's Mama, I Made It. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The thing that I kept noticing and that that special does so I found frustrating and like so distinctive was the way that the documentary became a form of proof for the thing Mm. that was on the stage. And then I started thinking a lot more about the relationship between comedians and like the desire to see the stage and the self, the like proof and truth and authenticity stuff and and now here i am telling you that i think documentary comedies are bad and we should stop so before we talk about why they're so bad i feel like it's useful to differentiate this from you know what is the current version how is it different from what existed even over the last 20 years or so like how have you seen documentary being used in the past first and then sort of like what is what differentiates this moment right so there are all of these other earlier examples of people who you know created some kind of comedy special that was recorded and then there are elements of footage that are either at the beginning or the end or throughout that are something in addition to the stage um You and I were talking about a bunch of them. You know, I was looking at the original Kings of Comedy. And in that case, it's just little tiny snippets of all of them together backstage. And because the feature is several different sets, they use them to transition between, you know, different comedians. Just little moments. And you get a little flavor of them interacting with each other rather than seeing them as these sort of separate people. Um, you could also look at uh, we, uh, Monique um, and Ali Siddiq also did uh, jailhouse ones. There's a sort of interesting subgenre, actually, because uh, Jeff Ross also did a jail one of like going to a jail and performing, which is 
music has its own version of that. Yeah. Also, the jailhouse record. And I found it curious that that is uh, its own kind of a thing. Um, but the tour, the tour documentary yeah. uh, and comedians of comedy and comedians of comedy, I think, is interesting um, because it is so much more of a documentary than it is what later becomes the thing that I'm frustrated by. But I also think it is the clearest forebearer for mm. the thing that I am frustrated by. And as I was rewatching it um, for thinking about this, I uh, was noticing there's a there's a moment fairly early in the movie um, where I think it's Brian Posehn who is in the car and he's talking about a joke that he does. And it has this very – it looks like the documentary footage that we think of now as like yeah. prestige docu, docu footage, fly on the wall, intimate camera kinds of things. Really early on, the worst piece of advice I ever got was uh, I did this joke about uh, – it was just in the setup, but I mentioned that my, my dad died when I was two. And then I was raised by my mom and I always had to deal with mom's boyfriends. So that was just the straight line in. And this guy goes, uh, hey, that, that joke you do about your mom's boyfriends, um, uh, it's really depressing. You, should, uh, you shouldn't tell people that your dad died. And I'm like, well, he did, and that's why my mom had boyfriends. And I swear to God, the guy, who was also a comic, but just thought not my type of comic, goes, uh, looks at me and goes, uh, just tell him your parents got a divorce. And, uh, and then in my head, that was kind of before I met Proops and before I met those guys, that's what kind of told me that I didn't want to do what that guy was doing. I wanted to keep doing, you know, a version of what I was doing. Because that was so insane to me to lie because it's cheerier and to make, you know, to change my story. And... For me, although I think Comedians of Comedy is totally its own project, you know, I'm not sort of looping it into this thing that is happening now. There is something really fitting and sort of ahead of its time about the way that that particular movie and that idea of that joke is tying together, like, the reality of being with them in this car of seeing them as people who had a real story mm -hmm. and of the way that he is valuing that joke differently because it is true than it would be. Like the idea of the lie is abhorrent to him. Yeah. There's a few things that come up when you think of those examples. I mean, when if you exclude the sort of even even the jailhouse examples, because yeah. it feels like a lot of these are taking their inspiration from music, right? Yeah. So like these are tour documentaries. There's a history of, oh, we're a band. We can put out a documentary of us. We don't want to just put out a show. We're going to do a tour documentary. And then like I like when I think of David Cross's Let America Laugh, that's yeah. what I think of as, oh, especially around 2000, there were fewer specials. This is what people did as a way of being like, here's something. I can't just like... Some people just sold specials, but it's like, oh, I'm going to do something different. And I think that's interesting because it is a little bit of what you often see in comedy, which until recently was not really treated like its own both art form, but also like its own business. So like yeah. ultimately when people are like, how can I think of doing comedy differently? It's like, oh, I can just like 
apply different rules of different art forms, be it theater, which is also sort of around this time, around the 2000s, you're seeing like one of the many booms of like, oh, I should do one person shows. But you also like, oh, what are, how can I make it more like music? And I think one of the things that I think that example brings up, and I think that um, the way you talk about it brings up, which is these are specials now, opposed to what it was before, but specials now that are trying to adhere to the the visual vocabulary or the standards of prestige TV in quotes. Yeah. Not prestige as a like broad sort of um, abstract idea, but like what is the vocabulary and what do we think of when we think of something that looks like prestige? Yeah. So I wrote this piece uh, last summer, almost a year ago, actually, um, where I was describing the docuseries as a sort of glowed up version of reality TV. That um, the rise of docuseries like The Vow and the sort of um, fancy true crime that's on HBO Mm -hmm. that you're allowed to watch, uh, shows like Couples Therapy on Showtime, which I love very much. I think that show is incredible. But there is a level of production value, but also a particular kind of cinematography and a direction choice in a documentary right now has all of these implications about authenticity, about um, seriousness, and like fancy audiences. They like you when you're watching an HBO docu series, you know that you're wa- it looks like a certain. I mean, uh, whether or not it is. Um, something fairly like standard true crimey or it's more of like a celebrity pro it's an alan v farrow or something and audiences in the last couple years and i think this actually started with the um the incredible um oj simpson docuseries that came out on espn a couple years ago there's a real taste for like Mm -hmm. that look it feels good it feels fancy but familiar so much of tv is just fancy but familiar is like, oh, that's the sweet spot. I mean, this as a side note, so much of all middlebrow art yes. is like fit, modern day middlebrow art as we don't have highbrow. Highbrow is not allowed anymore no. <laughs> in the time of um, wealth inequality. So as a result, people in urban areas or like to have their middlebrow thing wrapped up in a veneer of like yes. no this but this is actually a highbrow thing even though it's the same thing <laughs> same exact thing and that this includes so like fancy hamburgers there's like everything i equate to food it's like it's yeah, like yeah. a fancy hamburger um and i think part of it to bring it to comedy a lot of this is happening on services where you're paying yeah oh yeah yes yeah um I, you know, I could not help but note that the Yvonne Orji special, like that the Jenny Slate special, these were like HBO project or was Jenny Slate HBO or was it Netflix? Netflix? It was Netflix. Netflix. It was Netflix. And Netflix is um, an interesting TV example because when I am reviewing, when I'm acting as a TV critic, Netflix is like ground zero for co-opt the highbrow aesthetic and then like stick it to the most middlebrow imaginable um, project. But because I was working on this piece about the way the documentary aesthetic has acquired its own meaning um, and sort of 
made projects that we would have thought of as like trashy reality and packaged them as something that suddenly we can all talk about as like a serious project. I then immediately thought, wait, I have seen a bunch of these as comedy specials too. I wonder if there is something similar happening there. And it is similar and different. Like there are all kinds of other things, issues that I've touched on already about like truth and we'll get into that more of that later but i truly believe that part of this is that comedy specials for a significant group of an audience are not serious like they are not an art form it's a person and they're standing on a stage telling jokes it is hard to imagine a more lowbrow like and they tend to be dick jokes often Mm -hmm. you know um and even if you are a relatively um well like you've seen a lot of comedy it can still and deliberately it is a feels lowbrow feels feels like the thing you put on because you don't want to be thinking yeah and there is a way that just like shoehorning in docu footage gets you into that like oh but it's also serious and about something and i should be paying attention to it as an art form yeah without actually doing any kind of the the comedy itself does not have to interact with that docu stuff at all like it is it could you can imagine This is not even any one of these particular specials, but you can very easily imagine a special that just is created as an hour and then just after you plunk in a bunch of stuff that is totally unrelated. And it, from a a semiotic standpoint, does all of the same work. The meaning is exactly the same for for a certain viewer. I I will say, I think it's worth noting that if you asked any of the people that did these specials, none of them would be like, because it'd be wild to be like, look, I needed yeah. to sell it and I wanted to, <laughs> I needed to be more prestige for HBO to buy it or for Netflix yeah. to buy it. Like they all, I mean, I've talked to some of these people and they all had like completely genuine self-inspired reasons to do it. Like, and, you know, like I remember Yvonne Orgy was like, I have, you know, I only have these opportunities and wanted to show this world and it's, it is an opportunity to do it. And this was a thing that was presented. And I imagine HBO presented a certain sort of budget for it, but it's more about, you know, in the past, people probably had these ideas and people were like, no, just do the thing, right? Yeah. Like, why is this happening now? Why is the industry greenlighting these things? It must be people responding to it in some yeah. way. So as yes. a result, why are people responding to it? What is the thing that's sort of happening? It is, it is, this is less to blame any one of these people for making these decisions. Because literally, no, there's, I don't think of any that felt craven. Like, there hasn't been one yet that's like no. the one they described. Which no, is no, like, no, 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 no um whoever is bad comedian hacky the algorithm comedian, act, version yeah, yeah 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 like there hasn't been that but it is why is that happening right now right this and and i think it's like i don't know nanette happened in 2018 all these sort of started happening more in 2019 and i think it is it it fits into that i think also yeah, I, think I think it's worth right. i think it's also worth noting that i have to imagine is much cheaper to do documentary footage than it was 20 years ago yeah yes um the the economic reality of it is that it is endlessly cheaper to carry around like a little tour camera and have that be able to make that footage look Mm -hmm. good um 
than it was when you're doing like comedians of comedy. You know, I went, I was watching it and just like, what did they make this with a potato? What is happening right now? I mean, it's 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 charming, but it's like not that long ago, and it looks just wildly different um, yeah. from a, you know just from the camera perspective. Um, yeah, the the importance of saying that this is not like that you can look at each individual decision and understand that this was something that this comedian was conceiving of as distinctive to this project is really it's important it's it's correct 100 yeah. percent that's what's happening but also the way that this always works is that it then becomes a system like when you have enough of these they do coalesce into their own relationships with each other and with other comedy specials and with others like netflix scrapes data on every single second of every single bit of netflix programming that you watch and if it knows that you like to watch docu footage in other things I guarantee you that there is an algorithm that says, I bet you're also going to like it in this context as well. And so Mm -hmm. totally divorced from the individual decision, it becomes a way to grab eyeballs that – I mean, it's weird to call a computer craven, but but that's part of what's always happening. Um, Yeah. I mean, I've seen Space Jam 2, and like that's the whole point. Yeah. Is that these algorithms are personified and they are they are cynic- cynically manipulating the system. It's not that's the thing. That's how they really get you. Is yeah. that they don't, <laughs> you don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. Um you I will say that like it should be I guess we should talk about that you don't like it. You like yeah. I, the thing that I always remember you saying like and I think this is actually probably I don't mind it. I'm like oh they did it whatever and yeah. but you you I actively specific, dislike it. Spe- specifically dislike the feeling of someone leaving. And yeah. or dislike that. So talk about what it is. Like on a sort of just like Yeah. formal level with sort of the bigger picture of like what why this is a bigger problem. Yeah. Um I have never stood on a stage and done an hour of comedy. From everything I can tell, it's really hard. Yeah. Really, really really hard and if somebody is in a place where they have put together an hour of the ability to stand on a stage and captivate an audience and create you know an arc from beginning to end not not necessarily thematically but just from a sense of like energy and Mm -hmm. rhythm and the show has a certain kind of wholeness to it again not necessarily thematically but as an experience the energy that's required to do that the stamina of it i mean it is a little bit like watching i i'm not a sports person but it seems like there is it is a feat it is an artistic Mm -hmm. feat to be able to hold eyeballs for that long it is even more so now that like nobody has any kind of attention span. Yeah. And from just from that perspective alone, I find it frustrating to be in the rhythm of like what this performance is and 
to then be given an exit ramp and go off and do this other thing. And then I'm, I have to exit back into it. And I, part of the issue is that because I am reviewing specials, I am always trying to negotiate between the thing that's in front of me on a screen and what it actually feels like in the room. Mm -hmm. And specials have to communicate that or choose not to communicate that in all different kinds of ways. How you mic people and where the cameras are and how close you feel and what the lighting is like. and I mean, all, all of this sort of thing. And... It is just from the perspective of somebody who likes watching an hour of somebody standing there and doing the thing that they are so good at doing. The insertion of documentary footage is just like, and now here's another thing that's not the thing you came for. Yeah. And that, you know, separate from anything from prestige or like truth nonsense or whatever, like that just by itself, I find to be annoying it's annoying yeah. and i i am always a little sad like there's something i'm not seeing in the, like i i get fomo cuz i'm not in the room with them but also i wonder like they're not seeing this documentary footage how do they feel differently now yeah. like our 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 experiences have now we it's two roads diverged and i can't go back yeah, I mean, it's. I think what what is happening is the idea of a special, and what does it mean to be special opposed to, hey, I filmed the tour I'm on. Yeah, and you know, like Chris Rock has been saying this for like I don't know as long as I've been alive, which is like specials aren't special anymore; they're regulars or some version of that. Mm. And I do think clearly, partly because there's an investment in it, but like. A lot of comedians are like, well, how do I do that? How do I make it something that's a special? And, you know, and there's different ways of doing it. There's um, specials that Bo, Ner Bo Burnham has filmed both as himself, but for other people have done that. Um, obviously, the Laurel special uh, that we talked about that Gerard Carmichael did. And where they really were able to give you a sense of place and scale and stuff like that. And... What is somewhat frustrating is um, there are comedians that are able to do that because of how good they are at comedy. Like, they don't have to do it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what's somewhat frustrating about the examples of people who have done this, they are comedians that I personally, as a person who is less bothered by the fact that they're doing this, they are people that I know that I would be like, they don't need to do it. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen Jenny live. Jenny is remarkable live. She, the energy she's able to create with the audience is a remarkable thing. She is, you do feel watching her live that it is this idea that she has hours of material and she doesn't, she just started and then whatever happens, happens. And Rory's the same thing. Like, uh, we, you haven't mentioned, but Rory Scovall, who was, has been a guest on the show, he, his last special was sort of like a documentary about the idea of him trying this thing of improvising five shows in a row or six shows in a row. When I started doing stand-up, I started doing improv and stand-up at the same time, and I was taking improv classes, and I was going to do like stand-up open mics. Then when I moved to New York City, I was playing with a group, but I was the guy who was committing more to stand-up, and I couldn't make it to 
improv rehearsal. I was missing some of the shows. I became the guy in the group that was just kind of a pain in the ass. It's like, either you're in the group or you're not in the group. All my stand-up, I love trying to improvise whenever I can fit it in there. And the more you do stand-up, the more you start learning how to craft an hour a little bit more professionally and like more like, here's the hour I wrote because now I can shoot it and like put it out there and get exposure and make money off of it. And a little bit of that takes you away from the spontaneous thing that I enjoy. So now I'm going to figure out how to just make it just the spontaneous stuff. Those are my favorite parts of every show, the things that I can't predict. And as a result, you know, we're talking about he probably did six hours worth of material. You're only seeing like 10 minute snippet. 20 minutes. Like it was, it's not, I think it's over an hour that's special. And not even half of it is material. Yes. And it's a thing of like, Roy has done special. It's very good. But also like, I've seen, like, he he's a person in my head can do it, can do the thing of, like, this is enough. I mean, like, Yvonne Orji, like, the thing is, like, Yvonne Orji's as even the next example, which was, she did the hard part, which is how do you capture the energy of a live space? Yeah. Um, the hard thing, the reason I imagine, you know, like, Jenny, they're like, I don't know if we'll be able to capture what it feels like to see Jenny live. So, like, maybe do this, who knows, but... Yvonne did that. You felt like you had an or- you felt like you had that energy, so it felt really jarring to like leave. Go, f- go from a space that's so specifically aesthetic, and then it's like to daytime. And again, I really liked those duck. It was very useful. Her interacting with it a lot was very funny and very charming. But it is particularly <laughs> like it's almost like. If people are going to start doing this cynically, it's almost like I prefer people start doing it cynically mm. because it's like, well, then it's like, well, yeah, the material's not enough. So we're going to have to boost it. We're going to have to add people. other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be right back with more Catherine Van Arendong. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a... 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Calling all female runners, it's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. 
Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. And we're back with Catherine Van Arendong. So the bigger thing about this is, or the biggest thing, or... The trickiest thing. The trickiest thing is... And I think the Comedians of Common example is a good place to start, is um, the sort of how a sort of Gen X idea, a Gen like baby boomer via Gen X idea of like what truth and authenticity means and looks mm-hmm. like, and then how that has become um, integrated into sort of comedy aesthetics and then like I want to say commodified exactly because again, this is, but that is, we are seeing here a definition of truth that is like by way of these type of people. And I think the thing that you wrestle with the most, especially as you like compare it to the world of prestige documentary is what is it, what are they saying tacitly about, um, standup comedy as an art form, the fact that they need to do this. Like I will, um give an example of sort of what I when I thought of this that I first think of is um one of the Kevin Hart specials. Uh Laugh at My Pain. Laugh at My Pain starts with like a mini documentary that's like, here's the entire Kevin Hart thing for people who don't know who I am yet. Which yeah. is like, I'm very famous, but you might not know, and I would like to be more famous. So you probably should know this stuff. So let's get this out of the way. Oh, now you like me more. Um, now you're ready to laugh at my pain. Um, and there is a part of all of this, which is comedians are on podcasts a lot. And then, so some of the audience knows so much about them and they go see them live and they're like, cool. I know the background, of a lot of these jokes, but then a lot of people don't because they're regular people who aren't listening to all these podcasts. And there is part of it that feels like that same thing of, oh, how can I like get everyone up sort of the same speed? It it and then what does it mean? Like what does all that mean? Which is the real part? So I don't know. How did you even how do you even start to unpack this? Um, you know, as you were talking about it just now, one of the things that also occurred to me um about like our cultural obsession with the backstory mm-hmm. you know there's something i think the podcast thing is is important it, this is for anyone who has had any kind of uh uh proximity to like john mulaney discourse the idea that we have parasocial relationships with famous people has is probably familiar to you but um if somehow you have managed to avoid that i I bless you but it is this 
experience that I think every one of us has had um, and that I do not think is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But it is like somebody has created a mediated experience of themselves, either because they are an actor and they've appeared in shows or they have been on podcasts or you follow them on Twitter or on Instagram. And you feel like you are invested in them as a person. You have a relationship with them. And there is a currency of, like, the more I know, the more that relationship is fed, is nurtured, is Mm -hmm. given more material to work with, the more I value that person and their work and my relationship with them. And it sort of becomes this cycling thing. So that's part of it. But the other thing that I think is like a fascinating cultural obsession that I have not really like it's it, I see it in TV and film all the time also. But it's like the origin story thing yeah. where we see some kind of narrative and we know it's a narrative like we see the a, like a regular batman and then we want to know how he became the batman like we we um every marvel project like we, there this need to have the story and then somehow also see all of the steps mm-hmm. that got us to that point and that I honestly am not sure. Like, what is it about this moment culturally that has made that so comforting and desirable, like not just in comedy, but like in everything? But I do think there is a way that this is the comedy version. Part sure. part of what this is is the comedy version of that. And, you know, Yvonne Orgy's very, very cl- – like, she truly is doing – great material stupid funny material about how nigerians can't give directions if you ask a nigerian for directions to uh, the theater tonight it would be the most frustrating experience of your life you would still be on your way here okay <laughs> she'd be like excuse me can you please tell me how to get to the howard theater here they go howard theater howard theater so what is this move is your gps what's going on sir Okay, okay, here's what you want to do. You want to go all the way down. Just go down, 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 down. Eh? All the way to the end of the road. At the end of the street, you will see a stop sign. At that stop sign, stop. Excuse me, excuse me. Hi, please. Do you know uh, Obalade? Obalende. Obalende, yes. How do I get to Obalade? I don't really know most of the names of the place. And you go straight down, you turn right, then you turn left, and then afterwards you just keep on going. So there's yeah. many rights and lefts? Yeah, pretty much. When you get to the bus stop, okay. then I will stop. When I get to the bus stop, the bus then stop. I will stop. Yeah, we'll stop. And there is a kind of, like, here's where it came from, and now you can see what what I made out of it. And it's yeah. better. It, we we value it more because it's realer and truer. Yeah, I mean, I pause to dramatically decide if I want how pretentious I want to be. I mean, like obviously, there's like probably a from my understanding of a postmodernist argument to people without sort of things to latch onto and the sort of. Um, inability to sort of know the beginnings of things. We were sort of presented as this time that we are in. And we lost God, and so we yeah, need docu-footage, exactly. basically. Yeah. 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 And distrust in institutions, right? It's like yeah. 
I don't trust this comedian. Now, mm-hmm. this is a complicated idea, right? It's yeah. like, should we have trusted him in the first place? <laughs> I don't know. But there is something of like, be- the moment before this in comedy, like formally, you had a lot of comedians talking about how they're doing comedy while they're doing it. It was a yeah. sort of like, um, you know, like we're talking about like 2010, both like on in sitcoms, you had sort of community being like, oh, this is an emotional resolution point or whatever Abed would say. But also like I think of definitively seeing Hannibal Burris and at some time he goes two weeks ago or two weeks ago from whenever I wrote this joke. Yeah. And being like, what? Is-? It was like seeing The Matrix. It's yeah. not like it was not like seeing The Matrix as if The Matrix was real. It's like seeing the movie The Matrix. After I saw The Matrix, I left and go like, this is a constructed <laughs> reality. And now we live in it. And n- there is a thing of we broke it down. Like we had this thing of seeing comedy live and no one really interrogated it. And I was like, yeah, that's probably true. That's probably what happened. And then all these comedians were like, I'm lying. This this isn't real. And for laughs as well. And then <laughs> there. So as a point now, like, where do we even begin? And and in some arguments, the skepticism is good because there are people who are lying to us. And yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I will say I, I did not think about Louis C.K. zero while writing this. <laughs> like, I kept imagining what like how different and like what it would have been like to see the Louis C.K. special version of this, which is, I mean, Louis itself was sort of playing like the mm. the, the show is playing with that very idea. But at every point in the show, you're still, it wasn't like this is the, he was always at least a layer from um, the truth of his life or that my quotes there were so giant <laughs> you to understand that. Um, but like this same version of that, is part of what I kept thinking about because, of course, also all of the documentary footage is a construction. And, of course, it is always also edited and, like, they picked that scene and it is its own form of here's the joke again but realer. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just another level down, but it's the same thing again. But because the aesthetic shift happens, we're where our minds are tricked like mine is every time my you know like i'm i believe it now i saw it it was there you showed it to me and uh so yeah i have thought a lot about trust and like what the, what it would have looked like if louis ck had been like yeah and here's here's my office with this desk like i just um and how this feels like in some ways, a very implicit and like not at all direct response to the lack of to the like we can't trust people now. Yeah, there's a there's a moment in the Whitmer Thomas one um, where he in his stand up he's talking about how his dad came back into his life. I believe then there's a song about it and then which is the nature of that special. It is not only a documentary thing and yeah. a talking thing, it's also a music thing. Yeah. And um there's a moment where he has he's talking to his dad now in the documentary footage and on the golf course. And I think probably the first time I watched it, I was like, I get it. Like 
not on let me i think someone might be thinking this now which is like i literally have a podcast where i demand people do this i know (laughs) and i think there's i i and i don't know how i feel maybe and maybe part of me is like that's what this space is for how dare you take away the thing that i'm trying to do but so (laughs) there but there's a moment in this documentary where he's talking to his dad and they're sort of recreating types of conversations they would have had about this experience, which in many ways I literally tried to have people do. Yeah. Um, but there's something about doing the text and there's something that was really weird when I noticed it was pouring rain and they're on a golf course. And I slowly started seeing their clothes get wet as they tried to like wrap the scene. I knew at some point I was crossing the line and I just didn't care. You know, you, you're, you're, you're damaged in some way and emotionally deformed. I don't know. But you know, uh, it's, uh, I've, I felt real guilty about, uh, all of the things that, uh, happened and, um, you know, what a poor father I was and you guys were completely innocent and had to suffer the whole brunt of abandonment and me leaving and, uh, you know, for that I can, I can never really um, make up for that. But um, I'm, I hope you know that um, I am I'm sorry. You know, sorry that I did that to you and Johnny. Yeah, and, I think um, we know. Good. Because now I'm, all I can do is, um, you know, try to be a better father. And, and then it's, it don't, like, it, then it does that thing of now I first, like, this is like it it becomes like a, a Bo Burnham type thing of like images of images projected on themselves. But it was again, like I don't think anyone is acting cynically, but when you see all of them, you see these moments of you know what is exciting about stand-up is like the paradoxal nature of like what is true and what is not true and what what part of the story am I telling and why am I telling it and we're and partly it's more true and it's paradoxical, blah, blah, blah. So what is frustrating now that I talk about it is these documentary footage are being like, well, this is true. Yeah. Stand-up is lying. Or it is true, and this is how I'm going to prove it. And so to then have that part actually also clearly have to be... Constructed. Shot. Yeah, because you had to <laughs> set up and you had to know what everyone's schedules were. Like the most, and it had to light the room, whatever room. Everything had to be lit. This is these are film crews. It, it, it is a bummer. Like it truly is sort of like. This is making me feel the opposite of what you were hoping to make us feel. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how I feel about what it says about stand up. Yeah, I mean, I think the as I was thinking about the um, the like, and it's true, and so I believe it more, and it's that is frustrating for all of the reasons you said. Like, it's not; it's constructed. Like, it is just as constructed as the thing that's on stage. But the other thing that I find really, really frustrating about it is that. You stand, you stand there on the stage, and somebody like Yvonne Orji, I mean, the world that you are in as mm-hmm. she is on that stage, like the characters that she creates and her ability to do all of these different bodies, like you can feel her being different bodies. It's, it's, she's just incredibly charismatic. Yeah. 
And then to see footage undermines the thing that she just did on the stage, right? Like, she is then saying, but, like, here's the realer version. Yeah. So that is uh, frustrating. It also prioritizes the truth and story part of it over, and you mentioned it prioritizes the truth part of it over. Yes, yes. An art, part of someone doing their art. Over the art, right. So this is the other thing. Um, Like, none of this is, all of this is constructed. The documentary stuff is constructed, but... The the incredible thing about seeing her on stage doing those characters, she's not those people. Like she's she's wearing the same. She's still her. You can yeah. still see her face, and yet it is the performance of the stand up that makes you feel it. It feels real. It feels true. And the art is that somehow you got to that place that was so true mm-hmm. even though all of it is play acting even yeah. though all of it is this thing that she has constructed and that's like a particularly heightened example because she's playing characters and but any version even brian posein standing on a stage and saying my dad died and then my mom had boyfriends which he talks about in that comment in that special is like that's real that's what happened and that's why i have to say it even that is still a construction like even that is still a story that he chose to tell that begins in a certain place that moves through a bunch of other narrative decisions that warps reality like we have this idea of oh this is my favorite hobby horses but we have this idea about realism Mm -hmm. that it's the same as like a record you know that realism is a thing that exists because it's like real but all realism in any shape or form is a system of priorities yeah and anytime you put that system of priorities on the thing you are making it less real you're saying like yeah here's the whole world but we're just gonna focus in on that don't look at all that other stuff and we're also gonna from that follow this perspective through here and following that perspective is gonna warp the way that we see this entire story like every stand-up every the realest most authentic story is still doing that Mm -hmm. and it's an art i mean that's that's what you're paying for like that's what the person that's why these people are great yeah and the documentary just says like or you could just watch it on video i mean it's just it's just so it's it, it bothers me it feels like a now that we're really we're really <laughs> rolling it. It, it feels like it's like it's an art for moving backwards it's yeah. like it's like a painting of a cup right so there's something of like the history of like painted work or whatever but it's like you have a cup and there's this thing of like, oh, I'm going to try to make something that looks as much as like this cup as possible. And and there's different arguments of like, what does that mean? Like even the sort of classical drawing of a paint, classical painting of that cup is going to be like more dramatic looking than jump super far in the future, a photorealistic painting of the cup. Yeah. But, but regardless of that, then you have a more impressionistic portrait of the cup and then a modern and blah, blah, blah. And then next thing you know, a painting of a cup is a blue square on a white canvas. Mm-hmm. Cool. And to then, to instead, where many ways comedy is, even like, and is the, 
maybe it's not a blue square on a white canvas, but it's often like, you know, the handle's over here and the this is over here. And it, it, it is not often. It's a guy available. holding a cat and saying, like, this is a cup. Yeah, yeah. All of these things, right? Like, comedy is often a subtextual thing when we talk about it. We're like, this is what this person's saying, even if they're not being like, well, this joke is actually about yeah. the subject. But also sometimes it can be literal and that's fine. The point being to be like, I need to show you this cup. I need you to say like, wow, you did a really great job drawing that cup. To to have that in there is, feels like we're, we're this is the opposite direction and our form needs to go. It feels like, it feels like a statement done to be like, well, this isn't an art form. In in a way that I find now that I'm revved up and I had <laughs> a very large cold brew, <laughs> I find it insulting. A thing that yeah. I did not have a problem with. As a part where um Welcome. This is where I've been. Welcome. I don't have as much of a problem with it. But um <laughs> it is a thing of someone or people not just a general disrespect for what is actually happening. Like, it's not enough. And again, this is not by these specific comedians. I'm sure none of these comedians are like, I like documentaries better than stand-up. It's, they had a reason to do it. It's more that someone is like, they said yes when they were like, yeah. oh, documentary, that will be better. We'll be yeah. able to suggest this to people who otherwise wouldn't know how to respect the thing that you're doing. And I think as as a person who would really like people to respect it as it is, which is sort of, though I made fun of this podcast is doing what a lot of these documentaries do, the reason they are separate is partly as an in, the podcast exists as an instructional way of respecting things for the things as there is. Mm. And there is something about... Not only, it, there's something about, one, that being part of the text, right? It is like, it's one thing for when you go see the blue square on a white canvas that there's a little thing on the there's side. A label. That exp- there's always yeah. label copy. Yeah, that explains why it's good or something. But at least that's to the side of it. It'd be like if the painting said, and this is interesting because like, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. And it, it, and there's something really frustrating by one, people telling you how they want you to respect the thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, that we're respecting it because of it being true. Yeah. Yeah. I, the This the definition res- of true. Yes, this definition of true. And the like, respecting it because it being true. Like, I don't, this is the part that I feel like sort of tiptoey around because it gets into like, cancel culture stuff and like uh, uh, don't really want to do that but there is for extremely reasonable understandable reasons a need for artists to be the people that we wanted them to be on stage Mm. because they told us that that's who they were and then for many in many cases they were not that. And so 
if the artist in that moment is sort of not trusting us to receive them in the right way, I think it is important to note that like audiences are also now in this place where like they do not trust the person that they are watching either for, again, extremely logical reasons at this moment. And the concert this like i want to like this person i want to like the comedy that they do but i can't because i heard that they're an asshole or you know Mm -hmm. alt-right whatever like the the link between those two things is at a particularly fraught place right now and i am certainly not saying like you have to like people whose politics you disagree with or you should not like people comedians whose politics you like everyone's got to negotiate this crazy world for themselves yeah Um, But it is interesting and concerning to me that the jump from I don't trust them because they're not the person that they said they were on stage is very, very short to and this comedy is better because now I know exactly where it came Mm. from and it's true. And it is once again that like I get to feel more comfortable and I get to like something more. I, get, I can value something more because I have seen the receipts mm-hmm. and I, I get to feel, I get to feel say I get to know you're a good person. And so I'm allowed to laugh. And um, again, like <sighs> far be it from me to say that like, you have to laugh at jokes from people who are demonstrably, terrible people far be it from me but i would hate if then the next step is that joke is very clearly not true and thus this person's work matters less or is not as artful as you know this other thing yeah i mean you're defining true as autobiographically accurate and one that's a construction as well and two that is what we're going to be judging art (laughs) one like it's I always say, like, to me, the most truish, true example of comedy is Christian Shaw had a dream about a birdcage, so she bought a birdcage. She had a dream she was performing next to an empty birdcage, so she bought a birdcage at a vintage store and then took it on and then wrote a piece and created that. That is true from her essence. Did that, what happened? That she, it's not, you know, she goes, this is a manifestation of my, nothing. The truth yeah. is, yeah, this is how her brain. It's annoying to, it's just sort of lacking to reduce, like, comedy. It's it's also lacking to reduce documentary to a news story, as it is, it's even less to reduce comedy to a news story. Yeah, I I should say at this point, I love documentaries, like, as an art themselves. Like, I have watched so many, like, particularly as they've started to take over TV. Like, I've seen so many docuseries, and I am fascinated by them. Um, And I'm still trying to figure out, like, how, like, the things I value, the things I I look for, the things that make a great docuseries to me. But it is very easy for us to forget that they are constructions, right? And the... um, the sort of reduction of the documentary to like this is a, a story I didn't know and now I know it, I think, is just as frustrating as um, you know the reduction of a comedy to like now I I've laughed at a true story that yeah. happens to be funny. You know what's an interesting 
it I do not love policing how people respond to art, but this is a thought experiment where I do that. Excellent. Um, it's you have Bo Burnham's inside, and yes. I think that is an emotionally true expression of what the pandemic might have felt. Two, instead, treat it as a literally true um, depiction of what the pandemic was is undermining him as a as an artist and a creator and as a person who doesn't do that and who like arguably too too significantly raises people up as geniuses it is not how i this is the complaint again interact with art however you want i personally I guess if I'm going to assert anything, it is I would like us to appreciate comedy as an art form <laughs> in which people are doing something. And I think, and for a variety of things, like if their goal is to just entertain, then they are doing that. I don't want you to be like, well, they're entertaining. They didn't do anything. Like all of it. Yeah. Why do I want this so much? I like it. I like comedy and I want it to be taken seriously. And I think it makes the experience of seeing comedy better like yeah i like and there are people out here doing work that earns it is the other thing yes yeah the other thing is this is why i think it it hurts your feelings and or my feelings which is i think comedy is very good at creating parasocial relationships yes it is uniquely like the thing about comedy is that it it asks for this yes it is sort of formally what is happening so it's when you're with your friends, you laugh at, un- not you specifically, but probably you as well, which is like, you laugh at the unfunniest shit just because your friend is doing their thing and said a thing like they would. You just do it because they're friends and you have so much emotional context. What a comedian has to do, as funny as an abstract idea, what, what a comedian has to do as their sort of craft is immediately create the same feeling of mirth or whatever the word is that you laugh at them like they're your friend. Yeah, yeah. And they so it is what they're doing. They're like, we're friends. Like, I'm creating that. I'm sure if you scan brains, it's the same thing. Like, you're not laughing at a different part from your different part of your brain when you're laughing at a comedian and you're laughing at his friend. It's great at that. It almost feels like having a friend that has trust issues. (laughs) Like, they're like, I don't trust you to believe that I'm like your actual friend. And and it is funny because we're now being like they it's like you don't respect me to create my own parasocial relationship (laughs) i know well i mean it's it's either like your friend doesn't trust you but it's also your friend is trying to shortcut Mm. the thing that makes you like them right instead of being the funny charming person that you were drawn to and that's why you're friends and you have this relationship it's your friend being like here is like a list of my bona fides about why you should be my friend. Here is my entire life story in a little package. And because I have shown you this extremely maudlin footage of my, you know, nephew being adorable. And here's me being a good uncle to the net. Like, see, see, look, mm. now we're friends. Um, And so it's not it's it's your friend doesn't trust you to like them without that. But it's also that your friend is trying to like, I mean, 
this now is like I I looking at my own relationships and thinking like wow I've totally done this but it's like you meet a person and then very very quickly you're like here's an extremely personal thing sure yeah of course me. yeah yeah um and that's a sh- it's a shortcut you know this is like a, an inartful cheap shortcut to that feeling and I think it's particularly notable when uh the the thing that the docu footage of is like here's my childhood home here's footage of my parents um and as you say like Jenny Slate does this here's her grandmother you see her there's like a sensory thing where she's like touching sweaters and so you're like feeling the feeling of touching sweaters as she's touching the sweaters um and like I believe I believe that you love your grandmother and that these sweaters are extremely soft. But I really wish I had been able to get to that experience in a way that I know that she can be in a room. Mm-hmm. I've I've been robbed of the experience of seeing her do the art that she yeah. can do. It's, yeah, and it's also like, she describes something, and then you, the listener, get to have a, you get to imagine it. Yes. And that's yes. a nice thing to do. Like, that's why books work, just yes. FYI. That's how books work. Yes. This is what I've learned about books. This is why people who read books say books is better than other stuff. It's because yeah. books um, involve, your, your brain is used. And... It's also like kind of why like ventriloquists were like most popular during the radio age, Mm. (laughs) which Mm. is like the idea of someone doing the voice of someone else via puppet is somehow funnier than actually doing it. Anyway, um, so there is something of hypothetically not allowing you to have the experience of incorporating your own brain's image of what a grandmother looks like, which is essentially based on your own grandmother. Like, right, right. (laughs) So then by literalizing it, you're like, oh, you, you're just, you're just watching this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the hard thing is the reason to do this is because there's a probably founded belief that there are going to be people who watch it, who are just watching it, who are popping in and out. It is demanding to be like. Everyone should be an engaged viewer. They have to have the lights off. This is the only thing they're doing. And and because, come on, like, this is, I'm not. This, this is, is 2021. No one out here is going to lie about the way so, that everyone watches everything. So, like, I, I also get why a Netflix executive would do it. It just sort of, that doesn't mean it's not a bummer. It's not sad. It's not a thing that you would wish wasn't the case when you were consuming it. Yeah. Um. It's none of this is saying like if I look, I had a, if I had a friend who was like a comedian who was famous and would like to be more famous for whatever reason or would like to have a larger audience for whatever reason, I, I again, not judging. And they're like, well, if I put documentary footage, more people will get it. Like, yeah, ev- they haven't heard these podcasts. They are not going to listen to their episode of Good One before they list- watch the special. Like. You know, people want to communicate the things, and it's like nice to communicate those things. It's just sort of like when you're looking at the piece as a piece, it does. It, it's you can argue that it takes away from it. 
And I said shortcut in a bad way because I think it's like a bad shortcut. But the thing is, people like shortcuts. Like yeah. if ever, if I'm like, here's a long, hard way to get somewhere, but there's also a shortcut option. Why wouldn't you take the, like I I completely understand that version of it, hundred percent. Doesn't mean I don't think the long one may have been more rewarding ultimately. Yes, that is the words more rewarding ultimately. <laughs> That is, is like such a funny thing to complain about, which is like, this is a podcast episode about two people who would like stand-up <laughs> specials to be more rewarding, ultimately. Ultimately. <laughs> um, yeah. Before we move on to the one you like, do you have any, feel like you have anything else to say about this issue? Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I want to say is that like, I don't think you can divorce this from like the existence of social media and podcasts and all that stuff that we were talking about. I don't think that, you know, docu-series, docu-footage as it, as it exists right now is, can be separated from like the larger media environment that everyone experiences everything. Um, so as far as the future of this, like, I don't know, because I also don't know what it will look like in 10 years when, like, the Facebook chip is in our brains or whatever. But I do think it is, from the, like, distant historical standpoint, even though I don't like them, really interesting to note their existence at this mm -hmm. moment and, like, how they are clearly engaging with all kinds of other cultural stuff that's happening yeah it's 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 like we don't know how many more people will do this but they yeah. will likely try to do whatever these are trying to do yeah like they th th and some will be successful or you know like in whatever way i mean like there is something of i do think podcasts and the like have made comedy i think has allowed a lot of people to produce better comedy i do think an audience who is supportive of the person sometimes yeah. allows the person to do things they wouldn't be able to do otherwise if they're yeah. trying to just get through a weekend now i said sometimes because there's other times where there are people who then use this as an opportunity to not write new material and or write good material they're like ah oh, they like it already this is fine but sometimes oftentimes good artists use this as an opportunity to be to allow themselves to be and so historically like if you look at like richard pryor mm. that there is something that happens when a comedian gets more famous that is a real opportunity because you are playing with images that are in people's mind of you as a person. Like it is, you know, there's not social media, but like it is, you have a relationship with this person and we're all negotiating what that is. And that allows people to come to a space and be like, to engage, essentially engage with the work more than they would if they just showed up and it was Richard Pryor, the person they've never heard of. Yeah. And now a lot of comedians are able to do that because a lot of people have these relationships with the people. and. You know, there's comedians that I know got divorced and I go see them do specials and they're like, this is what happened. And I'm like, oh, this is I already had thought about your divorce. Like, I'm more invested. Yeah. Um. So people are going to be doing this. I'm trying to think of a person who did the thing that I still have not figured out what I was trying to get to is like. 
Is there a special that does what this is trying to do without documentary footage that we feel successfully does the thing that we're talking about, which is engages with the idea of the person um, and it knows that that is what is happening and with yeah I mean I, I think the that closest isn't, yeah is like Bo Burnham right? yeah yeah like that's, that's what I was say. yeah that's what that is that's the that's the deal I was yeah. trying to think of another example because that another seems like one. the obvious, obvious example but that is yeah. but that is yeah I mean that's another way of doing it obviously he has he has an extreme skill set but um, I think it. I think the other version, and I think, is the comedians who are textually playing with truth, um, and arguably with like a sort of queer sensibility of like what, um, what we mean by a thing in like the text and what is you know like. I think there is versions of that that but there has not been a special yet because of a variety of Hollywood things that like is doing that mm. fully. But I do think like having seen young comedians who are starting, they are playing with like what is real? Is this real as a story like I'm st- like all that stuff. Yeah. And sort of putting real in quotes. Yeah. Like um Kate Berlant, I think, is a person, and John Earlier, like, I'm. This is this is I, when I'm doing something genuine. It is like in quotes. Does that mean it's not genuine? Doesn't mean it is. Um, there, so it's going to happen, and it's exciting. Hopefully, um, I mean, it's everything's exciting. It's exciting that this happened, even if a thing that's not good. I'm excited. Something's people are doing something. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I want to end with a, an example that completely disproves everything you're saying, which was yep. that you like one a lot. You think it works. You think documentary footage actually heightens the story being told. Correct. Correct. And uh, everyone who listened to this wasted an hour. We were lying. This entire conversation yeah. was um, yes. fake. Mm-hmm. And what is that and why? Uh, so th- I think actually the first special that I saw that sud- that really did this, um, that I was like engaging with like, what is this document footage doing here? Was Gary Goldman's The Great Depression. And that does all of the things that we just talked about. Like, it is him on a stage performing and being great at performing, being incredibly, like, the room is, it's a well-shot special. It's well, like, you're in it. You feel that magic thing. And then he forces you to leave and you have to come back. And it is docu-footage of his life. And it is all of the things that we were just saying. Like, it is a special about depression. And it is proof of depression in a way that it may be worth noting that, like, the, like, Bo Burnham's inside is, like, depression that doesn't do the, like, proof of depression thing. Anyhow, um, it literally is him having conversations with his family members about what it was like at these moments where he was completely so depressed that he really could not function. And the most effective, most startling bit of that for me, I still think about it, is like the the clip that he does that he cuts to where it's him attempting to do comedy. 
He's sitting on a stage. He's like slumped over on a stool and Ken is is speaking. People are responding like from the most superficial distance. It is a person doing comedy, but like he is not there and is and as he tells it later in the special, like he can barely even remember like what it was like to be in that place. It is so far from him. Mm And I think there is something about the way that the documentary footage in that instance, as a record of a thing that he can no longer access, because it is as though it was a completely different person in that moment, is not just like useful, but artistically rewarding. Because it is able to give you an an understanding of a thing that he simply cannot put into words mm-hmm. on a stage. He does, he, he has really great jokes, really great material about how, like, what it felt like to be in that brain, what it felt like to try to, like, pull himself out of it. But there is a way that unlike every other instance of docu footage that we see from comedians, the actual record of the thing is it it helps you understand the idea that he is trying to communicate even more or at least as an important addition to the thing that he then says on the stage. I mean, I think it also helps that Because, you know, I have a bias toward, like, shows that have an idea and that work on that idea. I just have it – that is a taste that I have. Yeah. I think it helps that – like, the conceit of the special includes the idea that, like, these are going to be part of it. It is part of the project. And, I, you know, and the material is developed with the awareness that he's going to move in and out of these things – Although you don't get it in the room and the thing that I'm seeing is not what it was like to see him in the room, um, it is obvious that the label was meant to be part of the art in this case. Yeah, it's the thing that distinguishes them from the examples that we are talking about, which is the documentary footage has an idea. There's there's an idea of what these things are doing, which is one— it's not just showing you a, a thing he can't access on stage. It's showing you that it's something he can't access on stage. It yeah. is a, it's so funny that it's, this is like maybe the an earliest example because in many ways it feels like it's like elevating or commenting these other examples. Thousand percent. Which is he's commenting on how stand up appears and he's commenting on the lack of trust. He is saying, "I know I appear like this." This is what it really is like. 
And that is a metaphor or a sort of a manifestation of the idea that everyone with depression can't communicate, which is every time I'm talking to you, it is not when I'm doing the depression part. Yeah. Yeah. And and that clearly is intentional. It is all part of it. There's it, there's a part where he's talking to his mom and they're going through the album, a uh, photo album. And essentially, I think the doc, the director is like, did you know? And she's like, no idea. There wasn't a happier kid in the world. Yeah. Than my Gary. And then he, Gary pulls out a, a book he wrote when he was like six or seven or something. And it's called The Loneliest Tree. Yeah. And it's just like about the isolation of a very tall thing. And the point being, and which is the point of everything, which is that sh- you are like my mom, not knowing what is happening. Like, it is not just saying, I know I'm unusual on stage. I'm unusual in my real life. You're yeah. getting the real deal. You know, I don't trust you to believe that this is not a show. It's instead commenting on a real thing about how in real life we are performing. Yes. It is about performance. And it, it is, is also making yeah. very clear, like, and it's it's doing the thing that we hate, like, we want them to do about stand-up, which is, like, all of stand like, even if it's not about depression, like, stand-up is, st- is all doing that thing where it is creating a show and we still don't know what is happening behind this. Like, it is, it is drawing very clear parallels from the experience of being a depressed person and like trying to function in the world to the experience of being a performer and having a distance between the performance and the person themselves yeah yes i mean it just feels like a fully integrated unit opposed to like opposed to the feeling of like checking a wikipedia page while watching something Mm -hmm. um it's shadier than I wanted to be about a bunch of specials <laughs> I like, um, and and I but I in as speaking as two people who are watching these things closely by nature and more so because we are being paid to closely than anyone else. That's but I'm saying it's like specials can be watched to that level, and we want them to be, mm-hmm. and. That's what we sort of hope. Moving forward, if there's sort of a point being like, this is less about the criticizing the people that had done it. Because on all their individual levels, it again, you can see why it makes sense. But opposed as and the point being, we hope that if whatever the documentary footage of the future is, and it might be documentary footage, um, why does it need to be in there? Like, why? What is the fact that you're doing it saying? Not mm-hmm. what is the actual. Not what is the. Not what is the information you're saying. Yeah, that is fine. I understand that you're communicating information. It is content. It's on the web. Whatever. Besides the information, structurally, yeah, formally, what is doing this saying about the thing that you're trying to communicate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's not hard. Like, everyone we are talking about, and, like, th- these are incredibly smart artists. I do not for a second believe that it is impossible to make a documentary 
comedy special that I'm not going to watch in like two years and be like, never mind, they're fantastic. Yeah. Everyone needs to be doing them on this level. Um, and you're right. It is the next level of of consideration about like, why, what am I doing? What am I saying about the art form by including this mm -hmm. in here? That's really going to change. I mean, the other thing I did just want to say is like, yeah, we watch it really closely because we're paid to. But I, you cannot tell me that like even a person just watching it occasionally cannot feel the difference between a thing that operates on that level. Sure, yeah. Um, even if you're not actually sitting down and like writing down notes about <laughs> what happens in minute three and minute four, I believe that a regular viewing public whose brains yeah. are not broken in the way that ours are can still enjoy and appreciate and like care about these kinds of things. Um, perhaps I'm a sunny optimist in that respect, but, but I want to believe. Um, yeah, like the, I, it's not that I don't think there's a future for this, but I do hope the future is a development of uh, from where this is and not a proliferation of what this is. Um, so I think that will do it. Uh, Catherine, thank you so much for indulging me, letting me indulge you. Um, thank you. It's always a pleasure. This is always the headiest conversation that I have in a week. And look, I'm always here for it. So, you know, anytime. That's it for another episode of Good One. Read Catherine's piece on Vulture.com. Subscribe to the specials at patreon.com slash the specials. Follow Catherine on social media at Aaron. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Camila Salazar. Gotham Shrikashin did our theme song. Write our view and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next Thursday. Have a good one.